Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, September 1st, and though we have a new month starting, the tennis world just heating up. Second week of the U.S. Open now underway. Fourth round matches on the men's and women's side today, but we had an excellent back half of the second round last night. It's rare that we get, you know, celebrities, athletes from other sports all tuning into the tennis world, but it felt like with Naomi Osaka, Coco Gauff facing off two young superstars, we got a lot of attention, and obviously we will talk about that. But there's a ton of other results to mention, and in order to do so, we brought in the expert, the big guns on today's podcast. You may know him as a former Boston College Eagle, as the coach of Shelby Rogers. Nicole Gibbs, his work with Ramp Tennis, with First Break Tennis Academy, all fantastic stuff. But more recently, you'll recognize his handsome face and this stellar voice from his coverage of the U.S. Open on ESPN. Coach Mark Lucero, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. What's up, guys? Geez, thanks for the great introduction. I wish I could get that on loop so I can listen to that <laughs> on the you know, the days I'm not feeling so good, but uh, I'm happy to be here with you guys. No, oh, you looked great. You're, it's U.S. Open now, right? That's the name of the morning show. I love it. It gets my daily dose. I'm ready for everything. Yeah, U.S. Open now is a cool new show. It literally runs all day, and it's live the entire day, mm-hmm. which uh, is what I was on earlier today. And it really is excellent with all of the play going on on the grounds for you to shift back into the media role. I know you've done it before, but is it fun? It's a blast. Um you know, I get to work with some fun people. I get to see the tournament from sort of a different angle, different perspective. And, uh, yeah, it's really enjoyable. Any uh, any frustrations where you're like, oh, I don't get to watch? Because, you know, I was at Cincy, and, you know, this may be not what the listeners want to hear, but I feel like when there's so many matches going on, you're like, oh, I, it's hard to keep track of everything. No, you're exactly right. When there's so many matches going on and you're calling a match or you're calling a couple matches, you know, your preparation the night before goes into that, and then your existence kind of that day goes into it so sometimes you miss seeing a few things but you know one of the great things about us open the us open is at the end of the day i can go home i can you know dial up your podcast or i can check on twitter <laughs> and find out what's happened around the grounds and you know and then i'm back in the swing of things in no time no i thought i buttered you up but that was good <laughs> uh, i do need to ask because i saw you are in the commentary booth and you know a lot of people on tennis twitter have a lot of things to say about commentators and for whatever it's worth i thought you were excellent what's it like matt you know point in point out calling that the rhythms the ups and downs is it i imagine it's a challenge you know, it's pretty fun for me, and it's actually, I find it by talking about the match, literally every point, I might start doing that when I'm scouting opponents, because I feel like I'm so in tune with what's happening, <laughs> and you know the kind of, uh, like the old adage, you really learn something when you start to teach it? I think by talking about the match and trying to break it down from a macro level to a really simple level for the listener, by breaking it down that way, I think I'm able to really understand what's happening, and I think it might be something that I start to do just when I'm watching matches on my own at home, just talk about it a little bit more and verbalize it. <laughs> well, Coach, why do you think we started this podcast? I was talking through <laughs> matches anyways. I was like, might as well record it and see what happens. Um, but yeah, seriously, we've enjoyed your work so much, and I know you're Thank busy you. uh, with the calls, with the coverage, so we appreciate you taking the time today. But since we have you here, uh, let's talk a little tennis. And the place I want to start today's coverage, um, probably my favorite match from last night. And we'll talk again about golf Osaka in a little bit. But I'm curious if you got the chance to watch number 13 seed Gael Monfils and Denis Shapovalov battle late into the night. Monfils ends up taking a 6-7, 7-6, 6-4, 6-7, 6-3 result. And just what your thoughts were on that one. God, it was so exciting. I mean, first of all, I think... Talking about the tournament for Denis Shapovalov, 
you know, beating FAA first round, winning another match in the second round. You know, he had a quietly really good tournament. You know, getting to the third round and losing to Memphis. Shapovalov obviously sort of had a drop-off in the last few months. And when ESPN cut over from the Kyrgios match late in the fourth set, like Monfils was up 4-4-1 or maybe 5-1, and then Shapovalov got himself back in the match. I thought it was such exciting shot-making. Um, you know, what a cool court the Armstrong is to watch a match. Monfils has been playing really solid, really aggressive, you know, kind of maybe a little more aggressive than normal. And, yeah, I mean, just what an, what an unbelievable atmosphere there in the, in the Armstrong court last night. You mentioned ESPN shifting over. They did, and at that point, it probably because they expected Gael to wrap, off, uh, wrap up the match. Yeah. But, yeah, Dennis, yeah. I, I mean, it's rude. You know, he has this level inside of him, but I don't feel bad saying I, he treed. He turned it on. I, whatever it was yeah, inside yeah. of him, that he lit final. It up. Yeah, it was unbelievable. The forehands down the line, one-handed backhands on the rise cross court. It was all working. And you mentioned for Shapovalov, this has not been a good year for him. And you talk about just the tennis results themselves. You know, he struggled on the court. No titles this year again. Uh, he's still 33 in the world, but 20 and 19. Uh, obviously, you know, you're playing 500 tennis. You're getting at best one one win. Sometimes you're getting two or three, and then you're losing first match other times. And for him to come in um, and play this level, even though he lost in the third, uh, the third round, I'm curious for you. His decision to play Winston-Salem the week before the event, get some matches under his belt, uh, make the semifinals, even though the scheduling lines up where Winston-Salem's right the week before the U.S. Open, is that something you would advise your player to do if they were struggling the way Dennis has in 2019? Yeah, I think it all depends on what your season's been like. For someone who hasn't gotten a lot of matches, like he, like St. Mina with Shapovalov, I listened to your interview with Stevie Johnson. He said the same thing. And for, you know, for my player, for Shelby, I would have probably advised the same thing. You know, and every Grand Slam is a little bit different. Obviously, making a semi for Shapovalov, it carried over into here. He went, he played with so much confidence that first round against FAA. And then, you know, you mentioned those games in the fourth set when he was lighting it up. He's such a dynamic player. I was kind of saying the same thing about Dimitrov today. For those guys, they need to have confidence when they play because playing such a high-risk style, if you have any doubt, like things are going to go bad, but if you have belief and you're out there just making decisions, no second guessing yourself, you know that's how that's how you have success and that's how success builds upon itself. And for those kind of ton of players, when they can string a couple matches together, it's going to snowball. And they're very dangerous. And in this match, Shapovalov, 75 winners against 64 unforced errors. He's taking chances, right? You don't reach those numbers even no, over the course of five. You're taking chances. Seasons. You're taking chances, and when you're in the positive like that, I mean that. That's really hard to do. Yeah, that's it's an unbelievable level. And look, he t- t- to come to the net 65, uh, 65 times against an athlete as dynamic as Gael Monfils, someone who almost wants to bait you to making that sort of decision so he can hit the on-the-run passing shot. Shapovalov converts 74% of those 65 attempts, wins 48 points there. Though he loses the match, this is the sort of turning point, right, where even though it's a third-round loss, you've ne- now made a semifinal in Winston-Salem. You make a third-round team. Year, you're playing better tennis. You know, for Shapovalov, he still has time. Do you expect to see him in a bunch of events coming down this fall stretch? Yeah, this is going to be the type of thing that could really springboard your fall. I mean, he's probably going to go to Asia. He'll play maybe two or three events there, then switch over to you know the European indoor swing. Probably another two, three events. So yeah, so he's probably got five, six, you know, at least tournaments left. You know, the rest of the year, 
And if he can keep this tennis going, he's going to be someone that literally nobody on tour wants to see on the other side of the net. Mm, absolutely. The best is, though, he has Yuzny in the box now, and I could kind of read his lips, and <laughs> Yuzny's going, Divide, Divide, which, you know, in Russian, yeah. you know, carry it, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it looks uh, like it's a good change. He was working with Rob Steckley earlier, and then they, you know, went their separate ways. Um, looks like the change to Yuzny has been something good. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time for these coaching changes to set in. Um, but, yeah, I'm bullish on him the rest of the year. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm always a fan of when a player comes back and coaches. Even you know, I, I don't even know how long Yuzny's been out. If you told me he played a match in January, I'd believe you. Um, and so it's great to see him back in the box. And, yeah, that given Dennis's level, hopefully that's a partnership we'll see continue. But I, I want to do two seconds on Monfils because, obviously— well, Let me ask you a quick question. Let Ooh. me ask you a quick question. Are you— you a fan of the Shapovala freestyles? Uh, no, absolutely not. I mean, no, I'm a fan of the creativity, but give me two minutes, coach. I'll come up with a better freestyle by the end of this podcast. Okay. No, uh, it, right. was, it was Let's just... Let's talk about Gael. No, it was a little... No, no. The, I love the creative outputs, right? I'm all in on creativity, yeah. but he needs Daniel Westoff or Fliegner as his producer, is what I would say. As a, as a, as a lyricist, needs a little work. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, lost in translation. Um, yeah. But for Monfils, the number 13 seed. Yeah. Now, uh, he's obviously uh, made a Grand Slam semifinal before at the French Open, I think multiple times in that 2008-11 to 11 range. Um, but you look at his section of the draw. He's got Andahar next, and then hypothetically he would play the winner of Rublev Berrettini. Given his experience in the later stages of slams, would you circle him as maybe the favorite at this portion to get to that semifinal with you know probably Nadal I like him getting through but maybe the biggest reason I do is that other than the Shapovalov match he has not spent a lot of time on the court in, in his past like you know especially some of these tournaments at Roland Garros he's you know put in a couple five setters and ends up a little bit gassed by the time he gets to the later rounds I think he's going to be fresh going into the second week Andujar is obviously a great story but Gael's got the head-to-head with him 3-0 you know I I like his chances to move through. Yeah, it, it's just really broken beautifully for him. And again, Andahar, I believe yesterday got the win over Sasha Bublik. I thought, I said it jokingly, I think in our preview pod, but Sasha Bublik could serve his way into the fourth round given where his draw was. And, you know, in the end, Andahar just a little bit too good. But yeah, for Gael, this is the dream scenario. And in case people have forgotten, Gael Monfils started out 2019 on fire. I mean, he was playing such a high level of tennis up until right around Indian Wells when he started to get a little bit banged up. But yeah, for him, the draw has really broken perfectly. And I mentioned Rublev. That's the next match I want to talk about because, you know, the nightcap, Rublev, Kyrgios, Monfils, Shapovalov going simultaneously. It was such different tennis. The Rublev-Kyrgios match was unlike anything I've ever seen, Coach. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it was People just, say that a lot when Nick plays, though. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. But it was just, I, again, this stat is not, I think he had like a 24-second game. I mean, are you kidding me? It's amazing. I just, is something else. And I guess for you, that sort of tennis from, I, for you, was it anything tennis-wise? I thought the most impressive part of Andre Rublev's performance was that, given the circumstances, the speed with which Nick was playing, that he was able to maintain focus, not get broken once in the match. Incredible stuff from the young Russian. I think keeping the focus, I think not getting drawn into anything. Um, you know, when Nick does the stuff like where he does the drop shots and the drop ball, it starts to sort of toy with you a little bit. It can be very easy to get frustrated at some point when you're getting run around the string, but Rublev stayed with it. He would just keep continue to run for balls, try his best to dig out shots. 
and then come back at the very next point and play with focus and go out there to play his game and you know to maintain that to maintain that level headedness throughout the match to deal with Nick's serve game the games when Nick would you know hold in 24 seconds like you said when Nick would hit second serve at 130 and just to stay with it and and Rublev is not somebody that over the course of his career you would say that he's calm and level-headed I mean he's <laughs> Got a, you know, he has the ability to snap. Also, uh, I thought he did a really great job. Showed some really, some real sort of newfound maturity. Yeah, it, it takes Huevos to go down four zero in that second set breaker. You know, weather that storm, come back, win at seven five. Especially when Nick's doing all the things you're doing, uh, all the things you mentioned. But yeah, for Andre, thirty four winners against fourteen unforced errors. He played well within the margins. He knew I got to make first serves, and even though he only made fifty seven percent, wins eighty four percent of his first serve points, seventy four percent of his second serve points. Took care of as many serve plus one forehands as he got. I actually, I have a take. For for you. So, I, sure. as I mentioned, I was in Cincy. I, I got to wander around the practice courts, and I saw everyone but Nadal. And, you know, I have I like to think I've watched some tennis over the years, but I would say Andre Rublev's forehand and Felix Ogier Alassim's forehand are the two biggest shots I've ever seen. I just think that they hit the ball, the rally ball, I'm saying. I mean, I guess Delpo, too, can crank a forehand like anyone else, but these guys rally ball. It's just different than anything else. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I would put Escobedo in the mix mm. uh, for pace. But, yeah, I mean, I was actually speaking with Jose Higueras earlier yesterday, and he was talking about how big Rublev plays on a regular ball and how much, I guess, how much he, he must have missed as a junior player in order to be comfortable playing that big regularly. And the crazy thing is he's a former junior world number one, right? So it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. obviously he, yeah. he made enough still to have that sort of successful yeah. pedigree. But, you know, I think it was on the call last night, uh, maybe it was Brad Gilbert who said if he's healthy, he could see him making a jump into the top 10 next season. And I don't know if I'm ready to go quite there because, as you mentioned, the consistency it takes to be top 10 and just Rublev, that consistency will always be a big thing for him. We'll We'll see, but... The guy's a special talent, and now he's going to match up with, with Berrettini, who does a lot of things similarly to Kyrgios, another guy who he beats Pass first round, and now the draws open up beautifully for him. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see the Nick Kyrgios that showed up, uh, you know, Monday night or Tuesday night to play Stevie Johnson. I would have liked to see that Nick Kyrgios last night. Um, but, yeah, now, you know, Ruba's moving on. He plays Berrettini. Berrettini is somebody who's, uh, you know, Everybody I talk to around the locker room, they are very impressed with Matteo Berrettini. They really like him, and I think this is a you know this is the type of tournament that could really jumpstart one of these guys' careers. Yeah, and you know for Andre Rublev, it's validating because 2017 he made I think it was the quarterfinals here, and now for him to do it again, win healthy fourth round, have a chance to play for the quarterfinals, big for him, big for Berrettini, who's coming off of an injury as well after he was so good through Wimbledon. Uh, so it's great to see that as well. But you know, you look through the rest of yesterday's results real quick. Uh, pr- pretty routine stuff, you know, nothing crazy uh, in terms of upset wise. I thought the on. Well, yeah, I was going to say on the men's side, just to, to cap okay, that off. Okay. No, believe me, we have a whole women's side to discuss. <laughs> All right. Yeah, 
but right. uh, on the men's side, although Cristiano Verastepe, again, we'll get into that. Um, okay, okay. But just to wrap up, uh, Rafa cruises over Chung in straight sets. Alex Virat yeah. does his usual shenanigans, but ends up getting only a four set win. 6 7 7 6 Those guys look on a collision course for the quarterfinals, and that match could either go really well or it could be 0 0 and 0 Nadal. <laughs> true yeah um and then yeah chillich isner yesterday and ugly tennis but oh my god yeah that one not fun chillich a four set winner schwartzman in straight sets over sandgren i mentioned berrettini four over popperin uh anduhar straight set win over bublik so just kind of setting the scene in the round of 16 and you know for our listeners know we have seen some round of 16 matches already finish but what do you think about the men's field did it break i feel like it didn't break complete you know it's not wide open we got a lot of names to expect but we have a nice blend of you know already done and still on the come up i i am really excited to see an inform roger federer i'm excited to see a resurgent grigor dimitrov um, Rafa Nadal looks like he's rounding in the form. We don't really know much what's happening with uh, Djokovic. He had that sort of weird incident with the fan in practice the other day, and then he went out and beat Dennis Kudla pretty convincingly, but still we're unsure kind of about his shoulder. He didn't really want to talk about it too much. Um, yeah, I think it's a nice little mix. I mean, again, I would have liked to see Nick Kyrgios in the mix, um, you know, much uh, much deeper in the tournament, but I think you know we're gonna see we're gonna see the big boys play each other later on, and we're gonna see them get tested. I think in the next couple rounds by these guys like a like a Rublev, like a Dimitrov, who sort of broke through, then fell back, and then now they're you know back in the mix. I think it's a kind of exciting time to be a men's tennis fan. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I hope you're wrong. I would give anything <laughs> for a Medvedev Rublev final. Give me you know we've got a, we've got a lot of Russians invading New York already, right? Uh, ha, 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 ha. So we would love a little all-Russian final, just the bow on top. But no, I need some next-gen blood. I mean, I will watch Chilich Nadal because I want to talk about it on the pod, but if I had the choice, I wouldn't watch a second of it because I've seen that matchup. We know what that's looking like. But yeah, yeah. A, a ton of good names rounding into four. Fed versus Baby Fed always fun um yeah so i'm excited of the state of the round of 16 fourth men but transitioning to the women's side yesterday was a thrill i mean we will get to osaka in a little bit in golf but i do want to start with that ostapenko on match christian the former stanford product a 6375 winner I mean, just inspiring stuff from on. She, I think it was at two all in that second set. She took a medical timeout for her knee, and yet she just still kept scrapping, kept fighting, kept making that extra ball against Ostapenko to go from not, never winning a Grand Slam match to her fourth round, first ever fourth round appearance. That's just crazy. How she's really how she's held her nerve. You know, she's obviously playing good tennis. She played good tennis this summer to earn the wild card. She had success here. I mean, I guess success might not be the right word. She played here as a, you know, as a junior player, as a 15 or 16-year-old. When she played Dinara Safina, played a really good match against her. Um, you know, things are kind of full circle for Christian. And for Christy, it was never really a matter of was her tennis good enough. I thought she's always been so good from the baseline, so solid. If she gets into matches like, you know, like she did yesterday with Ostapenko, like Christy's not going to go out there and hit herself out of matches. And she's going to be a tough out, you know, for anybody. And, and Ostapenko, too. She's the type of player where if you hang around and give her some chances, like she's not afraid to go for some shots and you can hit some winners and definitely miss some balls too. 
Yeah, and that was, I think, the best part of uh, Christiane's performance is just she kept pressuring Ostapenko in different ways, particularly attacking the outer thirds, getting Ostapenko stretched, because as you mentioned, when Ostapenko sets, I mean, she hits as big of a ball as anyone on the WTA. And look, Christiane, 11 winners to 23 unforced errors isn't anything to write home about, but that she forced Ostapenko into a 28 winners against 45 unforced error ratio. Yeah, that, that speaks to the fact that she knew you, you got to mix in. You have to keep Ostapenko honest, but if you can keep her off balance, you know, she obviously found the recipe to get the win. And now you look at the draw for her. Uh, she now matches up. Let me see. Pulled up the wrong draw. I believe she matches up with number 25 seed Elise Mertens. Um, that's going to be a fun match. It's going to be a good match. I mean, Mertens is not, you know, uh, playing her, you know, not playing her best, not the right word, but, you know, for a player who is right around, you know, number 10 in the rankings, um you know dropping a little bit i think she's sort of a good player to be playing at this stage of the tournament for christian she has to be playing with a ton of confidence ton of conviction and i think i expect her to go out there and you know go for her shots and again be another tough out yeah and it's you know it's great to see her move on and this is a stat from jonathan kelly and i don't think it was christian's um win that clinched it but this is the first year since 2004 that American women have hit 20 wins or more at all four grand slams in singles I mean it speaks to the wow. fact that it's the Christians of the world and then you know Nisimova comes through Kennan comes through of course you still got Madison Keys, Sloan Stevens Serena doing their stuff up top you could argue the depth and the talent right now for American women's tennis it's never been better I don't I mean I think it's kind of reminiscent of the Russian group that came through maybe in the mid 2000s, uh -huh. the group that was, you know, Sathina, Dementieva, like, I, I mean, uh, Sharapova, Meskina, Sharapova. I mean, there's so many players, you know, it's a name, but I think it's similar to that group. I mean, you have, I don't know how many Americans are in the top 100 right now, but I would imagine it's probably in the high teens. And I think having 20 Americans in the top 100 or more than 20, I, I don't think it's unrealistic. I believe Jonathan Kelly, speaking of him again, and I made a bet, and I said, I think this is the year we get to 20 in the top 100. And he's like, you're crazy. Um, and I am crazy, but that was one of the better assumptions, I think, we made because, yeah, you well, look at— think about it, too. Like, who's missing from the top 100? Coco, Shelby— um, nope. You know, the McNallys are coming. The Coco Goffs are coming. Whitney Osigwe uh, so, yeah. is like 106 right now. Yeah, Goff, like 103. Osigwe, you know, Christiana is probably just in the top 100. I mean, there's a number of players who are close. Lipchenko, I mean, geez, we, I could probably name 10 players that can jump into the top 100. Yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable. And yeah, as you mentioned, the CC Bellises and Shelby's and the uh, Coco yeah. Bandways who are still working their way back to health. Uh, it's it's an incredible time to see. And another American who's had a standout performance at this U.S. Open, probably one of the biggest winners of Week One, Taylor Townsend, the seven five six two winner over Kirstea. How fun is her lefty serving volley game to see? I, I want have you gotten the chance to see it in person? I mean, she's so fun to watch because she just brings a totally different dynamic to the court. She's one of the few lefties that hits the kick that bounces the other way, which is unbelievably, unbelievably hard to defend when they go into the right-handers forehand. She's got the nasty slice serve that she can slide in both boxes. I mean, one of the things about Taylor that she does really well is she moves out of her split step for the volley so quickly. If that ball is left hanging, she can change the tempo of her feet and close so hard in the net. And, you know, the match she played against Halep, she closed so hard on match point on that forehand volley. Same thing against Cerstea. I mean, I don't think there's, you know, 
the, the players now like don't practice any passing shots and when taylor's the net you know 100 plus times a match like she's gonna be a lot to deal with is that true players don't pa- practice passing shots anymore I don't think so. I mean, I think you only practice passing shots when someone else is working on their approach shots. Yeah, that's, I, if I have the amount of my co- you know, you're on the far side and it's, you go go hit the forehand pass, then back to the far sideline, go hit the forehand pass. Then again, maybe that's why I didn't amount to anything is because I spent too much time <laughs> on the forehand pass. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just the you I like could not agree more. That first step, uh, you saw it a bunch of times against Halep. No disrespect to Kirstea, but that Halep match because Halep tracked down a lot of first volleys and made another yeah. passing shot. But Townsend's ability that first step, split step. And reach. I mean, she, she yeah. she's only five foot seven, but she covers so much of the net. She closes well. I think I read a stat like the first match it was somewhere around she like nineteen percent of her points were at the net. The past two matches it's been like fifty three and fifty nine percent. I mean, it is so different. I guess regardless of her weapons of uh, just being a lefty, how hard is it for a player to make that sort of adjustment going into a matchup with Townsend? I mean, it's like uh, it's like playing Syracuse basketball back in the like late '90s when they were good. Like when you know, like they they play a zone defense, and if you're playing teams literally every game of your schedule to only play man defense, and you're playing a zone team, like Jesus, it's brutal. And so if you're going to play Taylor Townsend, there's really no way to prepare unless you can find a left-handed hitting partner and have him hit some serves to you and have him approaching the net a bunch of times. And then otherwise you're facing something that you haven't faced all year and you won't face all year unless you play Taylor again. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why she's so successful, yeah. at least in this tournament, why she's recommitted to that game. Yeah, and another player who has the sort of pedigree, former world junior number one, her skills, her talent, always been very evident. It was when would the physical part of her game match up with those skills. And, you know, she's 23 years. She's my age. Like, I, it's crazy. She's yeah, she's got it. If, if things go right, she could play another 10 U.S. Opens, right? And it's just, it's crazy to see her level. Another player who you look at her draw now, she's going to have a really fun match with number 15 seed Bianca Andrescu, who was, a, I believe, a 6-4, 6-4 winner over Caroline Wozniacki. And I think Andrescu raced out to like a 4-1 lead in that second set. Wozniacki got the break back, started fighting back. But Andrescu, man, I mean, some of the things she can do on the run, it's just special. Yeah, I mean, I think in this match with, uh, you know, the Towns and Andrescu match, you're going to see a variety of spins. You're going to see a variety of trajectories over the net. And both players can crank the ball if it's right there in front of them. So, you know, I think it's going to be a really fun match to watch between two players who, you know, should be around for a while. Like, Andrescu's a great story. She had so much, you know, success, obviously, winning Indian Wells. Um, her shoulder injury kept her out for a while. She put in the hard yards rehabbing in Arizona with Todd Allen Becker. And then, you know, play Canada and to win your first event back, I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, like, what a freaking story. And then getting here and, and, you know, playing the Wozniacki match, like, they both, uh, you know, it's both players who make a lot of balls, but, like, Andreska just has, you know, way more variety. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I'm really excited to watch this next round match. She's lost, like, five matches in 2019. When she's played, she's been that good. And it's, and it's crazy. But, you know, we just talked about 
playing on Townsend's going to be uncomfortable for anyone. But the commentators during the Andrescu match, they were speculating, how do you beat Andrescu? And, you know, it, it was tough to come up with things because she has so many different skills. I think, I mean, I'm curious if you agree. Do you think Townsend's ability to take away time, that's going to be particularly effective against Andrescu? It feels like that's really the only way to attack her. So Townsend kind of perfectly fit for that role. Yeah, I think if you're going to go out there and try to counterpunch, I think you're, you know, basically playing into how Andrescu wants to play. But if you're going to go out and beat her, I think you need to be someone that can, someone that can hurt her and then someone that can take time away so that she can't defend. That can neutralize her ability to defend. And Taylor, if Taylor's serving and balling, if Taylor's putting her, you know, in outside the doubles alley with her first serve and then coming in, taking the next one out of the air, like she's going to be tough to beat regardless of who she plays. I mean, if it's going to be about placing her serve, it's going to be about getting good position on your first volley. Can I get you in trouble and ask for a prediction? Um, I'm going to go with Taylor Townsend because wow. we're here at the United <laughs> we're, we're Hey, we're here at the United States Open. I'm rolling with the Americans. Oh, that's completely fair. I get it. I'll take Andrescu just to be different. Um, but yeah, if, we, it, if we were in Montreal, the choice might be different. But <laughs> here in uh, here in New York, I'm rolling with uh, Taylor Thompson. It's a U.S. Open now, not Rogers Cup now. So come on. Yeah. <laughs> we're in the United States Open. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those burgers aren't going to flip themselves. Um, come on. But looking through the rest of the day's results, again, a good tennis all the way around. Uh, we had Elise Mertens, as I mentioned, a straight set winner over Petkovic. I thought Donna Vekic today looked particularly good in her 6-4, 6-1 win over Putin Seva. You forget with all of these young players, because there are so many good young, talented players on the WTA right now, but Vekic is what, like 23 years old? She has so much talent. She is just someone who has weapons galore, like both sides, forehand, backhand. She's dangerous. She can crack the ball. Um, she can be effective with her serve. And she's really, again, someone who's made a really big move this year. After breaking through a couple of years ago, sort of leveling off. And over the last, you know, maybe year, year and a half, she's really picked up her results. And, you know, beating Yulia Putinseva is not easy because she has a whole you know, line of things up her, you know, up her sleeve, so to speak, a lot of, you know, tools in her bag of tricks, and she can do stuff that irritate the opponent, but for Vekic to go out and beat her in straight sets, like, man, it says a lot about where she's at. Yeah, she can just, another player, you can, if you leave it short, she's going to hit you off the court, and that's what she did today, just so much power, it was so impressive, so she's a player to watch moving forward, Bencic got the withdrawal from Conteve, so she moves on, uh, gorgeous A, the 26 seed, 2-3 and three winner over Bertens, and then the she final match... Great. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, two and three over Burton's. I know Burton's lost first round in Cincy, but I thought she played a high level in her match against Venus. But yeah, that, another player. Uh, you know, it was funny because coming into the tournament, it was like, oh, there are 50 players on the women's side who could win the title. But now that we've gotten to the round of 16, a lot of seeds left and really no one that shocking. Still, all of these players in play for the, uh, the title. Yeah, I would keep an eye on Gerges. Like, if she can get the serve working... Um... You know, she is very dangerous. And getting through here against Burton, two and three, she talked yesterday about taking away time, how setting out to be aggressive and not letting Kiki sort of play behind the baseline and hit heavy and sort of muscle you around. Um, it's an interesting matchup because Burton has won both times they put on clay, and now this was the second time that Gerges has beaten her on hard court. So they're at 2-2 of the rivalry. And, you know, two wins for Gerges, both on hard, two wins for Burton, both on clay. Like, it's a funny dynamic and showing how much, you know, the conditions can play into a matchup. 
Yeah, I also think for Gurkish, she gets Vekic, and if she wins that, in Osaka or Benchic would be her next opponent. The, it's a little bit different game style, but it's not going to be crazy different. She's got a lot of yeah. power coming her way. So for her, you know, it, just to get to this round, awfully impressive. But yeah, she's definitely got a winnable match. But the last match I want to talk about, the last thing uh, for us to cover, and it's not that I dislike the event. I just feel like so many people have talked about it, so I figured we'd talk about all of the other stuff first. Obviously, Naomi Osaka in her 6-3, 6-0 win over Coco Goff looked great tennis-wise, but just after the match that obviously Goff being in front of the uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium crowd, the, the moment, the emotions of it clearly getting to her, uh, for Osaka to go up and just, you know, the sportsmanship she show to offer to do the post-match presser together what did you think of that moment coach you know i think it uh, i was actually talking to someone earlier today i think that she that osaka is one of the most empathetic like people around i think like she understands you know she understands people's feelings and for her to sort of have that awareness after you know a pretty big win and a pretty big moment arthur ash stadium playing you know quote unquote like the next you know the next player basically um to have that awareness of the feeling that a young player would be going through after basically you know that match going about as bad as it possibly could for coco Gauff. um you run into someone like osaka who suddenly finds their game and then you just struggle with some of your game that night you know i, I think it speaks volumes about just who naomi osaka is as a, as a person and to have you know coco Gauff stay out there on the court i just think that shows just a high level of emotional intelligence that I'm really impressed with. Absolutely. To see the way, I mean, look, Naomi Osaka is the defending champion. She's the number one seed that the crowd was so against her is probably one of the stranger things she's ever had to deal with. And in the ESPN, she went and sat at the ESPN round table after the match. She talked about, I'd rather play in front of a full crowd and embrace that. If they're all cheering against me than an empty crowd with 10 people there for me. Um, and so just Osaka embraced the moment and that's the sort of maturity that comes, you know, with winning grand slams, but to see it from someone who's 21 years old it's just a shocking level of grace it was it was so nice to watch especially because for Coco Goff this was a huge moment for her this was her first big shot at as you mentioned earlier America's home slam and as an American you dream of playing on Ash on the night match against the number one seed and Coco Goff's living that dream at 15 so just the entire the 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 entire way just that Osaka managed the whole occasion to win with the class that she did um so impressive but you know tennis-wise as well. I mean, anyone who doubted Naomi Osaka coming into this event, they're not feeling good about that take now because she looks great. No, she came to play last night and was about as committed to her game as I've seen her in a very long time. I was thoroughly impressed with her performance, like start to finish. I thought it was unbelievable. It's just the weapons, right? You always forget. Because the forehand backswing, I'll never understand how she can have that big of a backswing and create that much racket speed when the ball's coming at her that fast. But it's just, uh, her power is just so effortless. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, she I mean, she was able to bully her around with her pace, staying close to the baseline and just cracking balls. Like you said, you know, she didn't get caught uh, late on the forehand side, which is, you know, takes an incredible amount of timing and just, like I said, start to finish, it's just it's really, really good. 
Yeah, the other thing I thought mature, she knew the goth forehand. I thought it's funny. Their games to me, eerily similar aesthetically, I'm saying. The forehand, the loops, yeah. the big backswings. And Osaka knew that's the side to play to. So just to have the maturity to withstand the crowd cheering against you, obviously the post-match stuff, but just the sort of game plan and the way she stuck to it and executed, that's the number one seed. And I guess looking big picture on the women's side, we have number one seed Osaka versus Benchich. Vekic versus uh, who's she playing? The twenty six seed, of course. Uh, uh, gorgeous uh, Townsend Andrescu on Mertens on that top half. Who's your favorite to emerge? Gosh, um, uh, it's so hard because I can see scenarios where nearly all of them are moving through. <laughs> <laughs> like it kind of just—it's going to depend on. That. I think it'll depend a little bit on the conditions. I think it'll depend on you know who can get off the good starts in those matches. Uh, I think it's. I mean, I think it's too close to call. Yeah, it's tough. I will say on Turnitopia, which again for our listeners, that's our bracket challenge, and I believe right now uh, Jamie McDonald in first place in the lead for that cracked rackets and tennis channel gear. But I think I picked Benchich over Osaka. I just I keep waiting for Belinda Benchich to have that it moment, and I think that she's going to be well rested after a, uh, I think a three set test in her second round of match, uh, and going into this battle with Osaka, the only slam she's made the quarterfinals of in her career was at the U.S. Open, I think, 2015-ish. I just, the Benchich run is coming, and I think now's the time. All right. Let's, let's see it. Let's see it shake out. Yeah, and that they match up in round four. Again, another bet for us. So we'll have that going. Uh, obviously, on the men's side, we'll have things going. But a, a ton of great matches. Uh, obviously, half the round of four being played right now, and we'll leave that for tonight's mini break. But, Coach, your final thoughts heading into week two? I'm just so I'm so excited. I think like they they sped up the courts a little bit this year, so they're playing a, just a little quicker. But they're still, you know, what I would call a medium paced hardcore. They're still very fair for the guys who counterpunch a little more. Um, I would like to see, you know, what I want to see a Diego Schwartzman make a move here. Ooh, um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. I said it. Um, I would like to see Diego Schwartzman make a move here. And on the women's side, I think we are going to get. Hmm. I want to say Christian's not done yet. I, I, look, that's a bold take. We're all about <laughs> bold takes here at Cracked Rackets. I like that one. I feel like the bench Along uh, from with the, Taylor Townsend, neither one yeah. of them is done yet. I think one I'm, of them is going to end up uh, playing on Thursday. I think Keys, Serena, Townsend, and Christian are going to win. I wonder who uh, who you're all rooting right. for. The Americans, all right? right? Uh, no, the Americans. Yeah, exactly. It's it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I had Benchich Keys final from the get-go. It just felt like, given that in the 12 Grand Slam semifinals this year on the women's side, there have been 12 different players. It was just picking which players <laughs> haven't done it that could. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go with Keys, and I'm going to go with Benchich, and I'm going to stick with that. They both made the second week there you know I'm, I'm feeling nervous but i i think that pick is going to hold up well but um i do want to ask uh you know just a couple more things before you go uh, again i know you're a big instagram guy twitter guy as well i know you know you're not afraid to make some splashes with your wardrobe you've had the photos i stand with the dreamers i, I you know those sort of things just what about the uh, you know the social media experience u.s open wise have you enjoyed and just that whole experience you know uh I'm actually really thankful that you mentioned that. Um, I was actually talking with somebody else the other day just about, you know, the platform that particularly the players, but, you know, even sometimes people like me, the platform that we can have and, you know, 
concern over maybe certain things in society and maybe just just bringing some awareness to things that we feel are important um but yeah like here at the open it's just it's just such an opportunity to use that you know hashtag us open on the various social platforms um the us open now like this new digital show is pretty cool and they're doing a lot of clips uh that are made for you know for going viral you know it's cool having kobe here i wish i would have been here for that (laughs) um and you know the u.s open the u.s open actually uh their twitter account has gotten much better now and um i really like some of the things they're putting out there they put a clip um the other day uh that i really liked and i retweeted it i can't remember which one um oh it was about rafa wearing the purple um (laughs) and uh you know i wrote what Deion sanders always says where if you look good you play good and if you play good (laughs) if you play good they pay good (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely and again you've got the polo shirt rocking in one photo you've got the button downs i'm just looking through here again the black polo with the jeans seems to be the move although i don't know how you can wear jeans when it's that hot out i'd be like look i'm wearing tennis shorts it's a tennis show no in the uh well in the shot like you know if it's the whole body shot you know i had to go there with some you know cool looking pants and uh (laughs) the uh the the onset actually on the desk yesterday like you know we were only from the waist up so i had shorts on them down below so yeah, absolutely. I, I have to ask, live play by play for the making of a honeydeuce. How was that? <laughs> that was something I was not prepared for. <laughs> um, but that was that was a lot. That was a lot of fun. I wish we could have ran it back. You know, maybe the slow mo replay, and uh, I would have maybe tried to make some sort of signature call on that one. But uh, maybe I'll get another chance. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you will, Coach. Well, you know, I, we are so thankful for your time. I want to ask you if you could let our listeners know, you know, what are you up to with the academies? Where, where can they find your work if they want to, you know, follow what you're doing or show support for all that you do? Yeah, um, you can Google search First Break or we're at First One Break on Instagram, I believe. And we just had a great event with Chase Bank about a month ago. We put on an event called Return to Serve, which takes place usually that day around 10 sites around the country and our event in LA was kind of their flagship event. Um, we had a couple hundred kids out there. We had all kinds of cool stuff going on. LA County Sheriff and lifeguards were out there. We had Josh Rosen starting quarterback for the Miami dolphins out there. We had Taylor Fritz. We had Jared Donaldson. We had a number of players. So we, you know, it was an all around great experience for the kids. We're getting ready to go into the fall semester. We're reinvesting in the multi-sport program that, is sort of the brainchild of Pam Shriver and, you know, Rick Bukta and myself and Peggy Bott. And, uh, yeah, we're really excited about, you know, what we can do moving forward. We have our big event in December, which we hope Crack Rackets will be a part of, called the LA Tennis <laughs> Bash, event number three. And anyone who wants to really have a good time, want to play with some pro players, play with some legends. You know, last year we had Lindsey Davenport, Tracy Austin, Steve Nash, um, Tim Oliphant from, you know, TV and movies, CBJ, Sam Query. We had all these people out there, you know, fans got to pay literally a couple hundred dollars, not very much to play live ball for an hour with these guys. Um, we're excited about what, you know, what's lying ahead for first break. Yeah, I'm not a celebrity or a tennis star, but I'm happy to attend the first one break, uh, first one bash number three. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm going to get you in trouble with this last question. Predictions, men's champion, women's champion going into week two. What are you thinking, Coach? All right, I like Rafa wearing purple. I'm thinking I'm thinking Rafa is going to play really well. I think the courts are, you know, right up his alley. They're going to give him a little more pop on the serve. I think conditions are going to be hot going into late next week, which I think Rafa will like. Uh, 
on the women's side, I, you know what? I'm going to go with the first-time slam champion. I don't know who it is, but I'm calling a first-time champion. Yeah, go with Maddie Keys. Ride with me on this one. Keys Benchich fits both your quota of first-time <laughs> champion and American winner. There's a few other that would fit that criteria too. I'm gonna hedge my bet <laughs> and just go first-time champion. <laughs> That's totally fair. Look, I get it, Coach. And uh, for the Rafa thing, you mentioned the purple. I feel like at this point, should you just play shirtless? Um, you know, I know there's a there's a commentator on ESPN, a first-time commentator that really likes the idea, but um. I think uh, I think the sleeveless is a good look. I actually think the all black at night is super cool. Also, um, you know, props to Rafa for his sartorial, uh, you know, um, skill. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I got nothing but respect for the guy. Yeah, look, I I understand why people would not be in favor of this. But if Rafa's beating people or Fed's still beating people with a dad bod, don't you want to see them shirtless? Like, I'd be like, you're losing to that, Djokovic. Plus, if Rafa plays shirtless, Novak's going shirtless. Like, there's no ifs and or buts about it. I mean, I think you got to have a little more respect for the GOAT, for Roger. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, I haven't seen a hairy chest that bad since, you know, Seth Rogen went shirtless in his last thing. Uh, I I thought you meant like a dad bod, like DiCaprio, like full gut. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, I have a name in mind, but I'm not going to throw it. I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, maybe if he wants, maybe he could turn it up a little bit, you know. Um, Well, if if like uh if uh not Bopina, I'm freaking missing the name. He's playing with uh is he playing with Fritz in this one? Um oh my god, I'm blanking out. But any player I would love to see with a nice little belly. Bob Bryan. He's okay. got I am he was ripped, but you know, shoulder surgeries, a couple kids, you you lose that you six know who's, pack. So. You know who's ripped is freaking Stan. Oh my god. They're all ripped. Alex Dimenauer doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. Yeah, but Stan looks like he could go play uh tight end for the Chargers, you know, like I mean, we all saw the body issue, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I agree. But this is a take for another time, Coach. I know you've got to go. Yeah, you've got to go. I don't want ESPN to be like, Coach, we heard you talking about the shirtless players. Uh, (laughs) It's over. Uh, No, but seriously, thank you so much. I look forward to watching you again on US, uh, US Open now, on your coverage on ESPN. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on, Coach. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, that's the break. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, I love it. Take care, Coach. All right, bye. Bye.